0: Hello and welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. My name is Lauren LaGrasso and this show is meant to help you make creativity the filter for your life, redefine your relationship with fear by taking it out of the driver's seat, step more fully into the essence of who you are, and claim your right to have a dream and take up space. Today you'll hear from a great guest. She's a radio, podcast, TikTok, and TV personality. She's got lots of great tips on living authentically, setting boundaries, and fighting for your dreams and happiness. But before Before you hear from her, I want to ask you a small favor. If you love this show and it has helped you, please consider leaving it a rating and review. It really helps bring the show visibility and push it up the charts, so we can connect with and help more creatives. Also, consider sharing the show on your Instagram stories or Twitter. Tag the guest at Unleash Your Inner Creative and at Lauren LaGrasso, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Word of mouth is very important for podcasts, so if you like what you hear, please share. Now to the guest. Her name is Sarah Fraser. If you don't know her from her podcast, The Sarah Fraser Show, I highly recommend you give it a listen. She's a big personality who has quite literally made a career off of it. In her career, she's hosted and co-hosted a multitude of radio shows with huge ratings, including the enormously popular iHeartRadio program, The Kane Show, of Hot 99.5. Other than her own podcast, Sarah has also written and hosted a six-part true crime series podcast for Fox 5, and she even appears weekly on Fox 5's Good Day DC show, where she has her own lifestyle segment. She's currently working on figuring out how to make her dreams of hosting a national on-camera talk show come true. And I have every faith that she is going to make it happen. I wanted to have Sarah on the show because her creative journey is fascinating, inspiring, and winding. From busting down doors and cold calling to get into the radio industry, to building up her career brick by brick, to getting hired and fired on a few smaller shows, to finally getting hired in what seemed like the dream job, only to find out that it was an extremely toxic work environment, and finally finding a tremendous amount of courage to quit that job and start her own show in order to find her own voice. Sarah is such an inspiration to me for her bravery, belief in herself, and resilience. She's done it in the toughest of situations, and she's proof that we can all do this. Even when we're feeling trapped, there is always a way out and through to your higher good. Today, you're going to learn how to identify and stop escapism in your life, the signs for when you're in a toxic work environment and tips on how to leave, what mindful eating is and how it can help your mental and physical health, how to make practical sacrifices while building your dreams, how to use fear to your advantage, how to untie your identity from what you do, and the difference between being fulfilled and being busy. Super important. Okay, now here she is, my friend, Sarah Fraser. Sarah Frazier. Sarah, I love you. I'm so inspired by you. I'm so grateful for you. are on the show and just that like we've connected in life. I, I got to do your podcast. Was it last week or? Yes, last ago? week. Yes. Okay. And it was so much fun. You're a great interviewer. You have so much energy and just thank you for being here. Lauren,
1: well, I feel like the same vibes towards you. I mean, you're so amazing and inspiring to me. You know, the podcast business inside and out and I just love your business sense, too, because I, I feel like sometimes like I'm way too creative and not enough business. So anyway, I feel like it's a beautiful marriage happening here. Yes,
0: yes, we will lead. Yes, I'm so excited. I love it. Uh, yes, we've got great synergy. And so I love it because you also recognize that audio is the most powerful medium and really has the ability to transport both the one who's doing the audio and the listener. They're part of the creative experience, unlike with any other medium. And so I'm wondering, as a wee little girl, (laughs) little Sarah, like when did this dream of being a broadcaster first ignite in you? Okay,
1: two things that I remember significantly. I have wanted to be a talk show host since the time I was eight years old. I, I don't know who would leave. I guess my mother would just leave me in front of the television and I would watch Allie Jesse Raphael, Phil Donahue, and I was <laughs> mesmerized, like mesmerized by the guests, mesmerized by the host. And so when we were little, I would play with my cousin, Leah, and instead of us playing house or dolls or hair, I would make her be on my talk show. Yes. And I would make her be like a baby mama to nine different like baby dollies with like nine different dads. And then I'd be like, what does it feel like to be a deadbeat mom? And then I just looked at it, it was terrible. And we filmed it, like the whole thing. My parents had an old school camcorder. I would set that up. My mom still has some of the VHS things. And so that was significant. And then my grandmother, she gossiped all the time. Love her. Me too. And most people think of gossip as a negative thing. And it can be, for sure. We know everything can be negative. But for her, it was like a way of connecting with the community. And she was involved in the community. And she loved sort of knowing people's dirt. And so she would drive around with me. We'd make chocolate chip cookies. We'd get in the car. And then we would go drive by people's homes. And she would give me the whole scoop on what was happening and who was cheating on who. So those moments, I just loved. I like people's vulnerability. I like the things that shape us as people. And I like, shit's going to go wrong with everybody and everyone's life. So how do you recover? How do you transform and then still create a life of love or become a great parent or become great at what your occupation is? So those were two things that really manifested what I wanted to do.
0: I love it. I used to do the same thing with the talk shows. I had a talk show with my friend down the street called Tony and Tina. <laughs> and I'd make my mom film it. I remember we used to have like this big glass table. And I just think it's so fun to to trace the lines and see that we've always been who we are.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I've forgotten it along the way because I think I
1: personally, something I'm working on is I really suffer from FOMO and comparing myself, like since social media has become so big, I get easily distracted by looking at, Oh, this podcaster is doing this. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do. So I have to constantly work on coming back to who is Sarah Fraser. What is it that I truly want to do? And then staying the course on that. Cause that's a challenge for me.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you're doing a better job than you think, but I don't know your own internal mental battles. I have the same thing though. I'd get on there and I'm like, Oh, they're doing that. Well, maybe I should do that. What would be the answer to that? And it's like, you're zigging and zagging when really like, if you just focused on your own path, I always think back to when I used to swim as a child. I one time did a, a you know, a hundred, I ha- I'm literally showing her how swimming works right now for anyone listening. I did a hundred freestyle and I remember I lost the race because I was looking over at the other lane. And that was such a good lesson for me, because I think of that every time I start getting into a comparison trap, you're going to lose the race if you're too focused on what someone else is doing. So it's hard to remember because we're in a time when comparison has never been more accessible, but it's true. Yeah.
1: And you're so right. That's the best analogy. You have to keep your eyes on your own race because there are so many distractions now, you know, so 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 many. <laughs> so many podcasters. Every industry, every industry is so competitive.
0: Yeah, very crowded. Gotta just focus on what you're doing though. So okay, you had the dream. We were doing Sally Jesse Raphael Jr. shows in the living room. How did we translate from that? Toward actually like making moves in the broadcasting industry.
1: So college, I went to an all-women's college in Massachusetts, Mount Holyoke, and got involved with their radio station, which was hysterical and also probably dangerous for me because I actually had listeners call in and I'd be like, come on down to the radio station. Like, let's put you on. Yes. And actually, to this day, my dear friend Gabriel Barbaro was a listener. Some of my like dearest friends actually are like listeners or former interns. <laughs> because they get you. They're your friends. They support
0: your dreams.
1: So that was a place and, and we had free range of creativity. And I did internships at TV stations when I was at Mount Holyoke. And when I left, my gunkles, my, my gay uncles who were together for 30 plus years before one of them passed, had said, you, I was like, where should I move? Where should I move? and they were like, you know, I think you get lost in New York City, like, you know, you really want to get on air. So they said, "Why don't you move to DC? Howard Stern started there. It's a great radio market, it's a great TV market, and they knew a ton of people." I did, and through like a friend of a friend, I got a day to just hang out at Fox 5 DC, which I actually currently work at. So Michael Gargiulo, who's like a pretty famous anchor in New York City, was there. And I said, hey, do you mind if I buy you a cup of coffee? I'd I'd love to just ask you some TV advice. So I did. And Michael said to me, I told him what I wanted to do, you know, that I love to be funny and I like improv and I love talking. And he's like, you need to go to radio. If you stay in television, they're going to put you on a murder beat. No one is ever going to see you. They're not going to see your personality and you're going to hate it. I guess I took his advice and then I never looked back. Like I went to every radio station. I walked in the door. They were like, why are you here? I was like, are you guys hiring for promotions? Are you hiring interns? I finally found one station. I mean, one radio station wouldn't even let me in the door. They're like, we don't do like solicits. You can't just show up here. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, Well, here I am, bitch. (laughs) I got in giving out t-shirts. I would tell everybody, how do I make a demo tape? How do I be on air? There's always opportunities. One morning, the morning show was out on vacation and the guy filling in needed somebody to help read news. I did. The program director came in to me and he said, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is you're going to have a future in radio. The bad news is you're fired today because the radio station is changing formats. (laughs) So I've been hired and fired. I tell people they should not be upset if they get fired. I've been hired and fired probably five times in my career. Wow.
0: Mm -hmm. So then you're fired from there. What did you do next?
1: So then from there, the the program director helped me get a job at WTOP, which in the D.C. region is a big news traffic weather station. And I did traffic reports overnight
0: from 7 p.m. until 3 a.m. Can we just pause for a minute? Tell me how you made that interesting. How did you bring Sarah to the traffic report? Like, what was your little flavor?
1: Well, I did things like I would say something like on the outer loop of the Beltway, a a deer got whacked. (laughs) People call and they'd be like, that is so upset. What do you what is this? The Sopranos, like, yes. and the deer got whacked. Like, like, yeah, like,
0: <laughs> this is a radio version of the Sopranos, and thank you for the compliment.
1: I'd bring people's names and I'd be like, Joy called from Laurel, Maryland. She says the right name is blocked on 95. Stick to the left people and get there early. You know, I, I would just like make it my own, you know? So, and it was overnight, so not many people really heard it. But from that, two radio guys on a classic rock radio station heard it, and they called me and they said, hey, would you want to join our morning show or audition for it? It It's called the Stevenson Medley Show. So I did. But the funny part was it was a classic rock station. I was 24. These guys were in their 50s. I knew nothing about classic rock. I went on the air one time, and instead of saying Bachman Turner Overdrive, I said Bachman Turner Overdrive. I got the phone lines lit up. People were calling me being like, you fucking idiot. And I was like, oh my God, my show is resonating
0: with people. This is fabulous. Like, this is amazing. Only it was constant hate. They're like, you don't even know the songs. Wait, you have an amazing perspective though. And I think that that's something that I notice about you now. Even when you do get negative impetus, you're like, well, either you use it as a learning or... Or you realize that people are listening and that's a good thing. Even if they don't like it, they're listening and something's resonating there. How, how do you have that? And how can we have that? I got that through mindful eating, right? And
1: mindful eating is my journey of how I gave up dieting. I lost 50 pounds naturally. I found self-body confidence. And I had a therapist, a mindful eating therapist, tell me this. And for some reason it clicked. And she said, Sarah, you will never be big enough Or small enough for everybody, ever, ever, ever. Mm. You'll never be thin enough or you'll never be fat enough for everyone. And for some reason, that just clicked. And I'm like, that's the same thing for my broadcasting career. I'm just never going to be everyone's cup of tea. So if I can evoke somebody the time on my YouTube channel or my podcast to write me this scathing message when we're all so busy, I'm like, I am resonating. This is working. Like, I get so excited. I'm like, oh, the fact that you took this time out of your day, that I'm a blip when we have so many personalities, is like, it's working. Do you ever write back to them and say thank you? Like, all the time. I don't mind the personal attacks. And, you know, I've been canceled. I was telling you a little bit about that. But I have experienced some negative moments. And I think. Lots of times these things are like way bigger than even about you. Right. They're about people's own frustrations within themselves, a community. There's so many things. And it's the same with my body. Like I literally do not care what people think of my looks or my weight because it's not really about me. It's about their own things that are going on with themselves. Yes.
0: And we're all just mirrors for one another. And I think you're so right, especially with those greater societal moments when something happens that like triggers a bigger societal reaction, it's an opportunity for somebody to have a moment around that societal thing. But like talking about your body and like how you kind of shifted your eating and everything. I know this happened during a time when you were in a super toxic work environment. Yes. So, okay. Tell me about this because you got the job that was like considered the dream job. I did. And you realize the dream is not what it seems. (laughs) Walk me through this situation, this show, and how that led to your mindful eating journey. So I worked with this Stevens and Medley on
1: this radio morning show for one year, and then we all got fired. Our program director was having sex with a saleswoman. And by the way, perfect he was married to the midday woman. So it was a huge meltdown on air. Yes. So everyone got blown out. Okay. This is like before Me Too, before Time's Up. So we're all canned. We're all fired. And a girlfriend of mine had said, hey, there's this guy coming to, to town, and it's called The Kane Show on Hot 99.5, and iHeart radio station, and he's looking for a female co-host. You need to audition. So I called, I I emailed, never heard anything. And so I said to my girlfriend, I'm going to take you out to lunch. I'm going to sit outside of the program director's office and I'm going to put a name to a face and I just want an audition. And I did that. I auditioned for two weeks and then I was there for over six years. And The Kane Show was considered probably like the last golden era or two of radio. Syndicated iHeart Radio show like in eight markets across the country, Sirius XM. I was making $250,000 a year in my late 20s. Like, through the 2007 recession when people were losing their homes, I mean, it was like going gangbusters. But it was incredibly, incredibly toxic. It led me to binge eating, depression. It got me into mindful eating therapy. And when I say the work environment was toxic, I worked with a radio guy who one day would be like, I love you guys. This is awesome. We're a family. And the next was throwing keys at you, kicking trash cans, smashing pictures, and not speaking to you. It was like being in an
0: abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. It
1: was crazy. And there was never
0: any accountability ever. Yeah. And this happens a lot more often than people would think, especially in media. What I think makes it worse is that you can one day have like this wonderful, generous person. And then the next day they're this monster and you're like, what, who, I'm confused."
1: And people really get away with it when you have a number one show. If you are making money, which, you know, my co-host was, the whole show was, collectively, was making iHeart a ton of money, it's like, well, mm, we're going to look the other way. And in fact, we're going to make you seem like you're crazy, and you're bringing this on yourself, and you ought to be damn grateful that
0: you're here. Uh Uh-huh. So how did you deal with that mentally? And you said you were there for six years. At what point did you know you wanted to quit? And then how did you get to the point where you finally did?
1: Well, it took me a year to build up the courage to actually leave. Um, Because when you are making that much money in your 20s, and, and now we're seeing it going through a pandemic, I mean, people would say to me, including my entertainment attorney, are you nuts? Like, nobody makes this amount of money, you know, for five hours of work. They're like, this is crazy. Suck it up, do it. And I'm just like, this is such a mindfuck. I mean, I drank too much. I overate. I binge ate. I, I had no life, you know, because we were always on pins and needles and you were at the beck and call of that morning show. So it's like if my co-host needed X amount of stories and and he always needed more, 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 more stories. So you were expected to go home at four o'clock and, you know, you better produce those stories. And if you weren't, you were going to be CC'd on an email to the GM, to the your bosses of all the shit that you had not done. And then you were called into the office. And uh, so it's like, I had no life. I had no life. So I, I would say probably year two into it, I began to see some major like, lies that were happening, You know, really toxic behavior. And in fact, my co-host was actually worse to the other men on the show, which is kind of like, I feel men need a moment too because he was almost like more abusive to them. I mean, what those guys went through behind the scenes, some of the, the producers and the other co-hosts, it was like, wow. I mean, they really got the, the brunt of it sometimes more than I did. So, you know, it really got bad, I'm going to say around year four, year five, just so many things were bad all the time, you know, huge fights. And then, you know, when we, the show hit number one, our initial boss, who ended up moving to a different job, had bought us a bottle of Don Perignon. And he was like, I want you guys to drink this all when you hit number one, you're going to hit number one. So we hit number one. Our co-host got a a bus for us. We all go out, and so we're all like, "Okay, we're we're drinking the bottle of champagne." And his wife was hammered, and he was hammered. And they go, "Oh, we actually drank it earlier, but don't worry, we'll buy shots for you." And I know that seems maybe to your audience like stupid or insignificant, but I thought right there, this isn't a team. You say that that we're a family and a team, but we're not because if we were, the most important thing about this moment would be that the whole team feels the success because we've given you blood, sweat, and tears. And that was one of the tipping points. I'm like, wow. Also the second day, and and this is when you have to like, when people show you who they are, you really do need to believe them. I I think after I got the job officially, my co-host said to me, congrats. No, it's not show friends, it's show business. And I was like, what? I thought we were failing. (laughs) But in a way, as I've evolved, I'm grateful actually for a lot of the experience there, but I'm like, damn, that was the truest statement
0: he ever said to me. Well, you can be grateful for something and still acknowledge the harm it did. Totally. And that's a hard line to straddle to know like there were great things about the situation. There were even great things about this person. Like I can have love and gratitude for that piece of it, but I can also acknowledge that it fucked me up in a way that was truly unnecessary. And that like, You know, my whole thing is going forward, I think that we could like make a show without anybody like vomiting in the morning. I think we could probably like make great content without anybody fearing for their emotional life. I just think it's probably possible and that this bullshit that the entertainment industry has propagated that we're like saving lives and that it has to have that level of intensity. Yes, it can save a life, but think of how many more lives that it will touch if It's coming from a good intention.
1: 100%. And I think the saddest part about the Kane Show situation is how much potential it had. You know, that if we had had collective therapy as a group or good leadership that could have guided us because it resonated so strongly with the audience that it had. And I still have all my followers, you know, mostly are from that day, that era. They still follow me all these years. So I think the power of that show, the saddest part is that that flame got basically squashed because of toxic behavior.
0: So question, how do you have the courage to now speak out about what happened there? Because a lot of times these people, they can be very scary. And I would think that if I were in your position, I would feel this immense amount of fear and talking so openly about this guy because he sounds like a psycho. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Great point. Well, I think the thing for me is it's important for all of us to tell our stories, right? Because the the silence is what perpetuates these patterns over and over again. And also through therapy and through starting my own business and finding my own voice, I realized he doesn't have all this power over me that I thought that he did. And like I told you, there were some really bad moments on that show, but I also come from a place of being extremely grateful to Kane because without those lessons he really did set us up in a way for what part of the entertainment business is. The truth is, is companies hire you to make money and they want to make money and they want results. And if you're not producing that, you are going to get fired. And you are expected when you make a certain amount of salary, not to give your health, but you are expected to give a level of your highest self. He also taught me just the great lesson of, I used to take it so personally. Mm. Like it was totally directed towards me and what had I done wrong? And it was like, You know, her people, her people, you know, he was going through a lot too. And, you know, I haven't spoken to him in years, but I now look at him with empathy and gratitude because he lost everything too. You know, he no longer has his morning show. And so like your chickens always come home to roost. And I think it's sad because there was somebody so talented who had such a bright light, but
0: had their own demons and then took that out on everybody else. That's such a great point, Sarah, because I think a lot of times people, maybe Kane, had gone through something similar where somebody had railed against him in a similar way. And he thought, well, this happened to me, so it has to happen to them. And I just think that this is such an important teaching moment that just because something bad happened to you, whether that's in your personal life or your professional life, you can do better and you must do better.
1: Yeah. And I just, I don't fear it anymore because I, I actually just have so such great empathy for him. You know, like in a way I'm almost like that would be my dream guest or dream situation to have like Kane back and Sammy and Eric and myself. And just like, it would be unbelievable to have like a real, real conversation and go, why? I, I don't know. And my therapist always says this will like never happen, but I'm like, I'm like wouldn't that be amazing if like, we just could all come to the table and be like, look, I made mistakes and I'm sorry. And, and I'm going to be honest, I was overly sensitive and emotional at times. One of the things he did was push us to be better, give us great work ethic. Those things I took like, oh, why are you doing this to me and why are you? But in a way, I learned to have great work ethic. And as a businesswoman, and it's hard to own, have your own podcast, manage co-hosts, manage a producer, because guess what? People are not going to do what you want all the time. Yeah. It's easy to lose your shit and be like, why can't you produce what I want when I want, you know? So as a boss and as running my own show, I actually connected with him. I'm like, he did have it, you know, he was trying
0: to keep a number one show, number one. Yeah. And and you can have empathy from that point of view. That is a great point. So, okay. I want to talk a little bit because on Taylor's podcast, Taylor Strecker, who's one of my broadcasting inspirations, I heard you and you talked about this journey there as well. And you talked about how finding intuitive eating really was a turning point in allowing you to leave that place because it really helped you figure out how to love yourself. So can you kind of go through what intuitive eating is, how you got there and like why that was so integral to making this move? Absolutely.
1: So I started my first diet when I was 12 years old. I went to a Weight Watchers meeting. I was always overweight as a kid, picked on. So it was really, really difficult. And from the age of 12 to like 28, I gained and lost probably 150 to 200 pounds. And I did every diet. Wow! Weight Watchers, numerous times, Kashi Go Lean, Slim Fast, diet pills, uh, laxatives. Which let me just tell you, if you have disordered eating, do not shit your brains out. It's really, it's just, it's not good. You're in, you're in the middle of a 7-Eleven and you really have to go because you've now taken all these laxatives, <laughs> and you're likely to shit yourself. Insult to injury. <laughs> One of the things that that happened was the more popular we were on the King show, I got a job with Fox 5 DC as well as a pop culture contributor. So I would go on TV and people would tweet at me and they'd be like, gosh, you'd be so pretty if you lost 20 pounds. Or one time I wore this big belt on TV and this guy wrote to me and he goes, I didn't realize they put Santa Claus on television. And Lauren, at the time, these comments were like devastating because again, I like, I had no self-worth. I had no self-worth from my job. I had years of believing that. And I even at Mount Holyoke and at all women's college, the last day of my journalism class, the journalism professor who was a woman said to me, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a talk show host. And she said, Sarah, they do not put fat women on television. She said, Oprah's the only fat person. So, you know, you've really got to think about that. This is from a female professor at Mount Holyoke. I was like, shit, okay. So I just had zero self-worth. And I knew if I was gonna survive in the entertainment business. People talk about the way you look. Now it's about ageism all the time. So I was so desperate. I had gone to personal trainer. I mean, honestly, I, I probably even spent $25,000, I bet, on diet books, wow. everything. I, I had I had self-magazine subscriptions, everything you can imagine. So in a moment of desperation... I was ready to quit the business because I could not handle what people were saying about me. So I Googled like giving up dieting, loving yourself, self-worth. And this woman, Robin Mize in Tacoma Park, Maryland came up and she was doing this course on a whole weekend of just mindful eating. And it said, are you addicted to disordered eating? Do you binge eat by yourself? Do you, you know, have you gained and lost tons of weight, hate everything about your appearance? And I'm like, that is the record in my head 24/7." Because I woke up every day and thought about calories in, calories out, how much workout I was going to get, then I didn't work out enough, then I would eat 16 cupcakes. It was so chaotic. So I called Robin. I said, are you taking on new clients? Because I can't wait. And she said, yeah, come. And so the first time I walked in the door, she said to me, when you leave here, whatever it is, six months from now, a year from now, she's like, you're going to be able to trust yourself around any food. And honest to God, I didn't believe her. I thought, there's no way. I could never keep cookies in my house and not eat the whole package. And she said, you're going to learn to love yourself even if you never lose one more pound. Mm. I could get emotional thinking about it because I was like, I, I never loved myself without the size of my jeans being the most important moment. Like if I wasn't in a size four, how did I have any worth? And when she said that to me, it just like hit me to my core. Like no one had ever said that. Could you love yourself if you never... Lost one more pound. I didn't think I was worthy,
0: you know? That's just such a teachable moment for everyone in every area. Like, can you love yourself outside of what you do, outside of how you look, outside of who you know? Can you just love yourself for who you are? Because if not, none of those other things are ever going to make you happy.
1: They never are. And they're never going to work out. Part of the reason I think the cane show was difficult, I didn't love myself or know myself. Right. So, it, It was hard for me to stand in my truth when someone was throwing keys at you or yelling and screaming and being confident of who I was and saying, hey, you know what? That's not cool. That's not going to work. We're not going to do that today. I don't know what's going on with you. You need help. We need help. But this isn't going to work. I couldn't even say that to my own self, you know, let alone to my co-host. So she helped me begin to build and really get to who am I if it's not about the weight. And the beauty of mindful eating, of course, is it's not about your weight, but it is about your weight in the sense that when you overeat, the minute any of us eat when we're not hungry, we are covering up for something else. Stress, abuse from our past, toxic work environment, a marriage that we're unhappy in. So it was all about little moments of going, am I really hungry or am I really hungry for something else? Love stability. Oh uh, you know, that yeah,
0: right? So when you're going through that journey of learning about yourself and and how to love yourself and reasons why you ate other than hunger, would you literally, if you realize you weren't hungry when you were eating, write down, I wanted to eat, but I didn't because I realized I was feeling blank. Yes. So,
1: Robin had me start keeping a food mood journal, which was not about calories. I deleted all my calorie counting apps. I know some of your listeners will not love this, but I don't own a uh, tracker. I don't do the Apple Fit Watch, the Fitbit. I got rid of all that because it wasn't about trying to be healthy. It was about how do I become thin? You know, how do I eat as little as possible and be good? So, she said, Keep a food mood journal. You're not going to count calories, you're not going to judge yourself. You're just going to write what you ate. How you were feeling, and how did it make you feel twenty minutes later, an hour later? because food should always energize us. It shouldn't make us bloated, depressed, sick. And I would eat till i I could literally vomit, you know, when I was binge eating. And so I began to see patterns, you know, when I had a really rough day at work, it's like, oh, I just want to eat a pizza and escape. You know, I just want to get away from really dealing with the root of this issue which is this is a terrible work environment i need to move my ass on <laughs> you know like i need to, it ain't worth the money you know and i also trauma in my past you know my dad passed away from esophageal and stomach cancer when i was 15 years old and we didn't get any help back then my mom was just like look we're going to grieve for 2 weeks and then your dad would not want you to be sad we're going to move forward sounds easy but when you have great parents and even when you don't have great parents that trauma and loss stays with you every single day. So I had to really work through that with Robin and really go back and grieve for my dad and losing him. Yeah, it was really tough. It was really, really hard. But every time that I would do that, when you sit with those emotions, that's what you want. You don't really want the pizza because that's just a short-term fix.
0: Yeah, I think... Especially right now, I think a lot of us are having a hard time sitting with our emotions because everything's so painful. It doesn't matter who you are or what you're going through. This particular moment in time is a time when literally every single human being walking the earth is going through a collective trauma together. Then later on, whatever your personal trauma is, I found myself really, whether it's Netflix, food, alcohol, really trying to escape. And so I'm wondering, because you're someone who is so practiced at this, do you have any advice for those of us who are trying to sit with our emotions, but really struggling with it? Like, how do you push through at least that first moment to get to the next?
1: I would say you can't push through. You have to invite the emotion in. Okay. <laughs> it sucks. It, sucks. It's it ain't pretty. It ain't pretty. But, you know, one of the things my therapist told me, and I love this saying, and I would say this to you and your listeners, what you resist persists. So this idea of like, you know what, I'm going to forget the abuse that I experienced in my childhood, or I'm going to forget the trauma that my dad and my dad wouldn't want us to be sad, but it's still sad at times. So you have to invite it all in, all of it, because the amazing thing about mindfulness and like emotional cognitive therapy is when you let it in and you cry the more you do it, the less of a hold it has over you. Like you might cry for a little bit and then you let it go, but we've probably all seen people. And it's interesting now as an observer, right? We probably all see people in our lives. Maybe it's an aunt and uncle. All of a sudden you go to a funeral and there's somebody sobbing uncontrollably. Like they haven't cried in years Mm. and you just observe and you're like, wow. Cause they're sad for that person, but there's a lot, a lot they're releasing. And the more you can invite in the anger, the sadness, the fear, it has less power over you. So those moments come up and you're like, yeah, there's fear here, but then there's also joy and there's also sadness and there's happiness. And you know what? I've survived those things and I'm working through it. We're all a work in progress. And the person next to me is on a tough journey and the person next to her, and then it just begins to kind of have less of a hold. So I would say journaling is awesome. Keep a, keep a journal. And your vice, like mine was food, but it was also alcohol. You know, I, I went out and partied and drank. Oh, I mean, oh my God. I've been drinking since I was like 14. If I could do that over again, you know, I mean, ugh. so we all medicate lots of times with wine and I, you know, we're in a society where it's like, oh, have a glass of wine, have a bottle of wine. it's great, It's great. It is sort of great until you're masking all the difficult things. And then it's not great.
0: Yeah, or even like if you're only having one glass a night, but it's a crutch, like that is, I think, just as destructive as drinking the whole bottle because it's more important the reason you're doing it than what you're doing in a lot of instances.
1: Totally, and it's not just, you know, everybody smokes weed now. Awesome, enjoy. But if you're using marijuana to get through a toxic work environment or because you can't deal with your partner, it's not a joy. Something else is going on. So I tell people, open a journal and just write how you're feeling. And it doesn't even have to make sense. Lots of times my journal entries are like broken sentences. I don't give a shit about the punctuation. It's just like, I got to get all this out. What is going on? That is such great advice. I think people do now more than ever. Therapy is widely accepted. There's a lot of free programs. There's a lot of opportunities. Insurances are picking up more. It doesn't matter what your childhood was like. The greatest. We all have shit, you know? Everybody should go to therapy. It's the greatest gift you can give to yourself and then the people around you.
0: Yeah. And even if you think you had a spectacular life and maybe you did, they're finding that we can hold trauma from 16 generations back. Yeah. Yeah. You got to like account for your great, 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 great grandmother. Maybe she murdered someone and you're paying for it now. (laughs) Terrific. I've got to unpack my own life here and then 16 generations to go. Great. (laughs) Perf. Um. Okay. So you get to the place where you love yourself, you work through, you realize you want to leave. What did actually making that decision and like sharing that decision look like in action?
1: So yeah, I finally got to the point where I realized my self-worth and the truth is it was like, I knew I was super valuable there. They didn't tell me that. Believe me, they never, I I never had a workplace where we ever got any constructive criticism where they said, you know what? You're invaluable because they'd always say like, oh, you know, if you don't do this, we might be looking for another Sarah. It's like, no, you fuckers. It was a number one show. I know my own talent and worth. But, so I, but I had to believe it. I had to believe it. So I I've, I've finally had the courage. And I just went in and I said, actually, it was crazy. When I did go in, I finally had the courage to say, you know what, this behavior is not okay. We, we either need to get help, we need to work through it, or I'm out of here. So when I did complain, my boss said to me, well, actually, you can't have it both ways because unfortunately, there was a tape that was recorded of you and Sammy in the radio studio. Um, and, you know, Kane didn't want to hear it, but it was accidentally recorded and you guys were bashing him. And you can't be saying what you were saying on that tape and then asked for him to change his behavior. And I was like, holy shit if we were being secretly recorded, I'm like, that is everything I need to know. So my attorney called and said, we want a copy of the tape. And they said, oh no, 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 she's mistaken. She's mistaken. It was, it was deleted. It was deleted. Um, and I said, okay, well, I want out. I am done. You can, and I was under contract, so they wouldn't let me leave for six months. Oh my gosh. Did you get tortured in those six months? Oh, nobody spoke to me. Their motto was you're either with us or you're against us. And no one spoke to me. That was it. Basically, that once that announcement came, it was the last day that anyone, um, because everybody lived in fear there. So they were going to go along with whatever was happening with management and the number one morning show. And so people stopped speaking to me, and it was like I was dead to everybody. But you still had to talk for five hours a day. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And the last day I left, it was a pre recorded. They wouldn't let me go live, which is that's kind of typical of a lot of entertainment businesses. It's so stupid. They feel like for some reason you're going to blast them or whatever. So it was pre-recorded and I walked out the door in like a March or April and never looked back. Okay. So it's the day after
0: you leave. What are your emotions?
1: Well, I told this on the Taylor Strucker show because Taylor is she was funny about saying like her identity was so tied to Sirius and she loved the attention. And it's true, you know, when I was in the DC area and even because we were syndicated on Sirius XM. So people knew, you know, you go anywhere. I'd be up in Maine visiting my family and people would come up and be like, oh my God, I love you, of course, who doesn't love the fame and attention? You love like all that. The day after it left, it is true. It's like your identity is gone. Like people were like, oh yeah, why'd you leave? Or, oh, I forgot. Or I thought you were still there. So I had to humble myself because for six or seven years, you know, we lived a lot. Like, we went out anywhere in DC. We got into every nightclub. You never waited in line. You never paid any fees, nothing. Like, I mean, I never paid for concert tickets. The first time I had to buy concert tickets, I was like,
0: ah, they're so
1: expensive. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to take a moment back and go, okay, again, who is Sarah without this show or the fame of this show?
0: Yeah. And you talked about fear and I'm sure there was a little, even though you did this bold, courageous thing, I'm sure you felt and experienced fear many times along the journey, even to this day. Yes. One of the goals of this show is to help people redefine the relationship with fear. So take it out of the driver's seat, maybe put it at least shotgun, maybe in the trunk if we're feeling frisky or on the roof of the car. What is your current relationship with fear and how do you work on taking it out of the driver's seat of your life?
1: Well, fear still pops up for me, of course, like it does for everybody. I think for me though the the biggest thing is I'm like sort of a risk taker in the sense of like if someone's like, all right, don't go down that road. I'm like, oh, I gotta go down the road. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta go down. Like, what, what? Why? Why? So I feel like there's just something in me that pushes forward. One of the things I think people need to do is take the wisdom of people who have gone before us, who have had careers in the entertainment business before us, or in whatever your occupation is. And some of their biggest regrets are being fearful. And not like taking that job offer that they got, you know, with mm-hmm. Google or whatever. And they they said, oh, but it's safe where I am. So I try to listen to wiser people and hear them. And they always come back to that fear of they wish they would have known, like what would have happened. So I always say to myself in the moment of fear, is like, okay, in twenty years, do you want to be saying to yourself, well, what would have happened if I had gone all in on my TV? career? Or what would have happened if I just picked up and moved to LA? You know, Because I personally have just suffered so much loss and people's sickness, like we all have. I do not want to wake up in 30 years and God forbid, get a sickness or something and go, oh, I really wish that I'd gone to LA and just tried. I don't ever want to do that. So I come back to that all the time. And then I just, I do it. It sucks. You're nervous in your stomach, but you just do it. And I'm telling you, it, it is like when people say, when you kind of face fear and you work through it, or when you jump, the safety net will appear. There is serious truth to that. And I'm not saying do like no research. You know, I, five years ago when I launched my podcast, no one had a podcast, but I knew that people were going to be into podcasting. So I just, I'd done my research. I'm like, this is where it's going to be. A lot of people told me I was crazy, but every step of the way, like another sponsor would come along. You know, I make a little bit of money, I keep going. And then we got picked up by podcast one. And all, so there is really that truth to like, if you face fear, like shit will happen.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that the universe hears your, I'm leveling up call. And then it's like, all right, here we go. Here's more stuff. And you have new things to deal with, but it also provides for you in a way. Yes. And that's like when you do it with a pure intention, not when you kind of like dip in your toe, but then you're also holding yourself back. I've, I've noticed it. the universe provides a lot more when you do it wholeheartedly. And that's what you did. So you you created the podcast. Tell me what else happened in the leaving and and what are the future goals? Well, in leaving, really, one of the big reasons I started the
1: podcast was I didn't know my own voice. You know, I'd always been a co host. And in radio, there's a formula the dick, the dork, and the doe. And the doe is always the woman, and she's the voice of reason, and she smiles and she's funny. Like when I was. 25 or got that job, I was like, okay, I'll do anything. Sure, I'll smile, I'll laugh, I'll be the voice of reason. But I'm like, I have way more opinions than this, but I didn't even know how to like open my own morning show because I wasn't my own host. So I really wanted to use it to find my voice. And I will tell people this because I think this is important. And when people talk about chasing their success, I don't think that they talk about this, but I did. I really took people's advice. Like I saved a lot of money when I was making money. And I went two years when I first launched my podcast without buying any brand new clothes. Which I know people are probably going to be like, "What? It's true. So I want people to know that financially, you are going to have to make sacrifices, because I think there's this perception online like, "Oh, I can like live this glamorous life and still you know lease the Mercedes and launch my own business." And I'm like, really a lot behind the scenes of I' financially funded this on my own, I, I had to make sacrifices because I went from making an insane salary to I'm out hustling, getting fifteen hundred dollar endorsements, trying to land that five thousand dollar client. So I do want people to know there is like you need to be financially ready too. Yeah. So the podcast kind of grew from there. I love you know you you've kind of given me a new slogan for it, which is Sarah Fraser. She'll interview anyone. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah Fraser. She'll talk to anyone. Anybody. <laughs> Literally, try her. <laughs> She'll do it. I mean, I've had people sunning their buttholes on the show. People have married stand I mean, it's like I will talk to anybody. Can I come on and do that now? <laughs> yeah. I when I moved to California, I we we're going. I really want to sun my butthole. I really
0: because they say it gives amazing vitamin D energy. Oh, perfect. Good. Come on in. You've come in the opposite end. Why not that one? Exactly. Everyone's welcome. But
1: my next step is really, truly, my goal has always been to be a talk show host on national TV and a producer. So. As much as I love the podcast, it will continue, but I'm really figuring out ways to rework it and focus more on my TV dream and my producing dream because I spend so much time on the podcast, as you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's 90%
0: and my dream is only 10 and I'm like, wait a minute, I need to rework things. How did you come to realize that? Because when we're in the grind and we're doing the hustle every day, it's really easy to be in the thick of things and never zoom out. Like, how did you get to the point where you're like, oh, I need to zoom out and actually see the big picture here? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news,
0: since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well,
1: two things. I I am a person who will make myself so busy to avoid sometimes feeling what I need to feel or really realizing what I need to do. So one of the things that happened to me is a year ago, I had a molar pregnancy miscarriage, which is crazy. It's very rare. All these like cysts grow in your placenta and ovaries. Your baby can't live. So we lost our baby at like 14 weeks and it was a, a health journey. From there, I had a hemorrhage. I had to have like four rounds of methotrexate shots for like a form of chemo because it almost creates like a cancer in your body. That's a lot. It was bananas, right? But as people usually say with a health issue, like that punched me in the gut and made me take a huge breath. And I was like, wow, I've been running around, you know, doing appearances, live podcast shows, four or five podcasts a week. This is crazy. What am I doing? Why am I not really working towards? And it's like something in you. I'm sure you feel this. You're a songwriter. You're all this. There's just something in you that's like, wait a minute. Okay. I'm not real." Yes, I'm fulfilled. I feel like I found my voice on this show, but now something's calling me for the next thing. So that combination made me step back and go, All right, wait a minute. What is the real dream that you've had since you were eight? Okay. Is this show always doing that for you now? And it's not always doing it. Sometimes it's almost just like, I keep doing it for the fans, you know, I keep, which is great, but then when are you going to do it for you? So that's kind of what shook me back too. And I've, you know, I have to say the pandemic has been very hard and it's getting harder now because it's, we know it's going to linger in probably a year, year and a half. But at first I loved it because all the stuff I was running around doing, all these appearances, all these client appearances, all that went away. And it was like, I didn't realize how
0: much I dislike that until it went away. Well, yeah. And you got to rest and you're like, oh, what is this new thing I'm experiencing? I always say that the pandemic, I mean, you had a, a near-death experience in many ways with that miscarriage, but the pandemic has been like a global near-death experience. And I think it's really made a lot of us question like, is the way I'm living in integrity with what I really want? For me, like I totally neglected my personal dreams because i've been so focused on my professional dreams and also like to your point like not always focusing on the things that actually are going toward what i want but just so focused and busying myself because i needed it in order to feel okay but i was just always assuming that like my dream of having a baby and having a fruitful relationship and buying a house would just like fall into place at some point you know like that will just work itself out cuz this is the hard thing but that that's hard too And I think it really put into perspective, you know, yes, I want to keep going toward my career dreams, but if I don't shift my focus to make my personal dreams come true, that's not just going to be handed to me. And don't you find, this is like the trickery, I think, of adulthood
1: that no one tells you when you're little, is every fucking thing is work. Yeah. Everything. Everything. Relationships are work. To keep my marriage good is work. You know, to keep my body healthy is work. To stay on my career path is work. It's all work. Like it's actually a lot of work. So I think when you go into it, like with that, uh, yeah, I've got to prioritize these things and same with family and kids. I feel like if for women that are like aching for that, you've got to make time because the pregnancy journey is a lot harder, lots of times than we think, you know, and careers will come and go and people get hired and fired every day for a million different things that you can't even anticipate. You know, I had a boss that had sex with his saleswoman. And he was married to the midday woman and they blew out everyone associated with him. You know, you don't, Ugh. so it's like, I can't put my goal now of having a healthy marriage and a baby on the back burner because maybe this will all happen.
0: Yes. And this brings us to the next topic, which is the fact that you are pregnant. Yeah.
1: Yay. Oh my God. 22
0: weeks, right? 22 weeks. Um, everything's happy and healthy and- So exciting. I'm so happy for you. I will definitely keep you in my prayers as well for it to continue. But this is another topic that I've touched on on the show a lot because this has been kind of a switching point in my personal journey. And that is that many women have their greatest success after they have their child. Everyone I've ever had on the show, in fact, has.
1: Oh! Yeah. Okay. I'm even more excited now. Okay. Yeah.
0: Because it's your why. And it also makes you like, if you weren't dealing with bullshit before, you're really not going to deal with bullshit once you have a little piece of yourself walking the earth. Cause you just don't have time and you have to be a good example for them to show them that they, you're not going to put up with that and that they don't have to either. And that you are willing to fight for your dreams. So I'm just wondering where your head's at, like with having this child being a part of your creative journey, even like with the eating stuff. Like I wonder how that shift. Where where are you at in general and how are you feeling? Well, thankfully with the eating stuff, because it's funny,
1: I I talk about this with some other women, pregnancy can be a big trigger for people with disordered eating. Very, very big. Now my practice of mindful eating is like probably six years old at this point. So a pretty well into the recovery of it. So it, it really hasn't triggered anything in me. I actually think it's helped me because sometimes for women with disordered eating, pregnancy is like permission to eat everything that we're told we shouldn't eat. But for me, it's actually been a nice balance of like, you know, I've been 85 pounds overweight. It's not a comfortable feeling. you know. It really isn't like, you know, even you should love yourself no matter what, but if we're being honest, lots of times you don't feel good. So it's been a healthy thing with me for food. It's like, and it's all about what does the baby need? What am I doing to sustain the baby instead of worrying about, my disordered eating. Mm. But of course, some women are listening to this and they're, they're going, oh my God, I'm, I'm binge eating while I have the baby. It's fine. This might be your moment to go, okay, once my baby girl or boy is here, I realize things have to change with food. So I think that it, ha- it hasn't been a trigger,
0: thankfully. And we've touched on this a bit, but like, where's your brain at as far as like how the baby will play into the career and how you're feeling about all that? Okay. Well, I have to say, you know,
1: I am a showbiz gal, so I'm already thinking, when can we launch the YouTube channel? <laughs>
0: yes. Put that little
1: babe on TikTok. You're going to blow the fuck up. <laughs> and I mean, I do have a dream that, you know, like my son or daughter, I'm going to basically recreate Joan and Melissa on the red carpet where I'm like the crazy mom that's like hitting on all of the A-list stars. And then my child is like, okay, mom, enough, enough. We're going to break. Okay. She's insane. And I'm trying to make out with like a 65-year-old Brad Pitt, you know? I mean, he's so like, I, I do have... Have these dreams, but I think everything you said. Every mama I know with a successful career, she's gotten exponentially more successful with the child because I think it makes you hyper focused. So I am trying right now to get myself in a place of getting rid of a lot of shit, a lot of running around that I did before, and just going, all right, this baby's going to really prioritize what needs to be done and what's important. And I think that's why I'm beginning to reassess the podcast, like what is the amount of time I want to put into this and yet pursue my other goal and spend great time with my baby? Yeah.
0: I have a feeling it's going to be an exponential growth for you in all areas. Well, girl, you are somewhat
1: psychic. So (laughs) I think from your mouth to the universe's ears, because I know you've done
0: a lot of spiritual work and you are connected too. So I love that. Yeah, it's coming. So Sarah, I love you. This is my final question. It's a two-parter. I believe creativity is intricately connected to the inner child. So if we're going back to little Sarah doing her little talk shows. Oh my God. Eating a ho-ho. <laughs> Eating a ho-ho. ho in one hand and the mic in the other. Perfect. Oh my gosh. I want to see a picture of that. So if you and that little version of Sarah were standing in the same room and she was looking at you now, what do you think she would say to you and why?
1: Okay. What would little Sarah say to big Sarah now? I think she'd be so... Happy that she has found her voice, that she has listened to her inner gut when people were like, You can't leave this show. You can't start a podcast. Why are you walking away from this money? And I think she'd be so thrilled at just like the mental health that has happened of not being that sad little girl because someone said you were fat, you know? I think the little Sarah would say, Thank you for no longer giving your power away. To people that you wouldn't sit with for five minutes, you know? I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, who gives a fuck what someone says on Twitter? I think little Sarah would be like, thank you for healing that.
0: And what would you say to her and why?
1: Oh, my God. What would I say to little Sarah? I would say to little Sarah, okay, well, put down the ho-ho. I mean, you know what Girl, you don't need that. You're looking for something that you're searching to leave small town Maine and move to Los Angeles. The ho ho can wait. And I think I just say to her, you know, all these experiences with your grandmother and, you know, your expressiveness that people are going to try to squash, you're going to unleash that and help many other people realize that they're going to unleash it too.
0: Well, thank you for unleashing and thank you for being here. Adore you and just so grateful for all you are and what you do.
1: Love you. Thank you, Lauren. You are amazing too. And such an
0: inspiration. I'm so thrilled to call your friend. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my guest, Sarah Frazier. For more info on Sarah, follow her at the Sarah Frazier show on Instagram and check out her podcast, the Sarah Fraser show, wherever good podcasts are found. Thanks to Liz full for the show's theme music. You can follow her at Liz full. And again, Thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Follow the show on Spotify. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren Grosso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also, tag Sarah at the Sarah Fraser Show so she can share too. My wish for you this week is that you can zoom out and think about what's on your heart that you've pushed to the back burner. What goals have you pushed to the side because of what other people think is important? Or just because you're so busy doing what's required of you to get through the day-to-day? How can you start to prioritize those deeper desires? What would it take? What would it mean? And how can you make a plan for that? That's something I'm going to be thinking about, and I hope you do too. And let's just keep each other updated on that. I love you, and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.